0: Hello folks, welcome back, or if you're a new listener, thank you for joining us. This is the High Performance Human Podcast, and I'm your host, Simon Ward. Before we get into today's show, I'd like to talk about what it means to be a high performance human. It has nothing to do with how fast you swim, bike, or run, but it's got everything to do with your sleep, nutrition, physical activity, personal relationships, your work habits, and so much more. If these are areas that you'd like to improve upon, we would love to help you and I currently have availability to take on a few clients and so does my wife Beth who is a certified life coach. So depending on what you're looking to focus on we have you covered and you can find contact details for both of us in the show notes. On to today's guest. Almost 20 years ago a talented young female athlete asked me to coach her. Natalie Barnard was part of the performance squad at Loughborough and wanted a different approach to the one provided by the coaches at the centre. Natalie was already struggling with some issues around eating and the highly competitive atmosphere at the university wasn't helping. We worked together for a short time until the weight loss problems led to a knee injury which caused her to stop training and not only did she need to look after her poorly knee, she also needed some very specific help to overcome her eating problems. So, We stopped working together at that point because she wasn't doing any training so imagine my surprise and pleasure when several years later not only did i see that natalie was racing again but she was now happily married and the mother of four children this is the story of how natalie managed to take control of her eating return to health and winning ways she's very honest and open about her previous and ongoing struggles and we do touch on some very sensitive topics So if there's anything that you hear which causes you to have concerns about family members, friends, training partners or clubmates, please look out for the links in the show notes below, which will guide you to places where you can find help for them. Right, let's crack on and hear from Natalie. Well, today it gives me great pleasure to introduce the show, Natalie Lawrence. Hello, Natalie. Hi there. How are you doing these days?
1: Yeah, good. Yeah, really good, thanks. Obviously I'm in the realms of a the six week holiday, so a little bit more haggard than I normally am, but you know, a bit like all of us, we're just sailing through but paddling underneath.
0: Well, we we sort of go back a long way, don't we? Probably 20 yeah. odd years, maybe a bit more. Yeah,
2: god. Um yeah. to
0: the to the to the days when you were in the um talent program in Loughborough. Um and now here you are, and you sort of dipped out of the sport for a bit, which we'll come to in a minute. And then now you're back in a, a different guise, but still at the front of the race.
1: Yeah. Yeah. God, that makes me sound old now. I feel like I'm more of a veteran. But um, yeah, yeah, it's been a long, a long history. Um, like anything. The trajectory hasn't always been like that. There's been many a dipping curve. But actually, I think that's probably the rich tapestry that hopefully now of I've learned, you know, I can give that back to the sport and other people as well as, you know, my own learning.
0: Yes. And of course, now, I mean, you've got lots of things to occupy now, haven't you? Other than just training, you're a a mother of four children, um, Mm -hmm. which is a a challenge in itself. Obviously, you're a a wife and you're a coach as well as an athlete. So that's um, quite a lot of plates you're spinning.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean to be honest even as a parent you've got one set of millions of plates and then obviously as a coach you've got to wear many hats and trying to be a wife and keep that balance as well. So yeah, a lot of it is about time management, trying to keep the head and keep other other people and stuff occupied.
0: All right. Well, let's let's rewind a bit then. Um I talked about you being at Loughborough. Um let's fill in what happened before you got to Loughborough. When when did you start out as a uh, in competitive sports. Were you a swimmer when you were young?
1: Yeah, so um I I got to well, I was a swimmer from about age eight, and then I, I managed to move up the ranks um with the potential to to make the national hundred meter butterfly finals when I was about I think 15. Um and I sadly Knowing Pond's Forge, two lengths, 100 metres, I took on water on the second turn and just literally drowned the way back. So literally, therefore, went my dreams of making any final. Um, kind of lost the love for swimming. You know, I'm sure anyone that's a swimmer parent or a swimmer themselves, it's endless hours for very little gain in terms of speed. Um and i just lost the love so i i ended up doing um biathlon and biathly under basically the school forcing me to do it for uh, for them got talent scouted um actually at the same same year that vicky holland got talent scouted by someone within british triathlon and from there basically i've always said it i've been thrown in at the deep end i got straight straight onto a regional um camp and then they realized there was a little bit of potential there clearly and from there it was just onto a funded program and and off I went
0: yeah so when you when you learn to uh, when you learn to swim at an early age particularly as a triathlete it's a it's a huge benefit isn't it you you see even these days most of the most of the best athletes had at least some sort of grounding in swimming and certainly you know Swimming hundred meter butterfly is pretty hardcore, even amongst swimmers.
1: Yeah, and it's funny when I look at that. I always, I always knew, and in my mind knew that you know I, I would always do a hundred meters, two hundred meters. That was my discipline, and I, I remember my my swimming coach actually said to my dad. I think she's got potential for longer distance and I obviously I had none of that didn't want to do it didn't want to put the training in and here we go swimming (laughs) 3.8k so 100 meter butterfly seems quite nice now
0: (laughs) yeah but I bet you still wouldn't want to do too many of them
1: (laughs) no 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 it's a different type of hurt that is it's a short term and it hurts for a lot longer
0: so what age were you when you started out at swim club then
1: um, I started, I trialed at about the age of eight. Um, and, and obviously um I think it's the same now because my son is um nine. I wasn't really allowed to compete until I think you, you become nine years old with Swim England. So I just I just did a lot of um recreational and then regional stuff. And as it as it progressed, obviously you you kind of outgrow your little clubs. I went to a big club at Hatfield, which had a, a few big names there. Um, and then, yeah, just just stayed at Hatfield. Everything upped in terms of intensity and all of that. And um, from there, obviously, I transitioned into the world of triathlon.
0: I always think the swimming's great if you if you're young because you, it's that time of life when children are developing, when they pick up motor skills really quickly if they're you know given the opportunity to be taught well and and repeat them. But also, there isn't a there isn't the same loading on the body as for instance running and and yet there's a huge amount of volume that you do and then a, a sprinkling of high intensity um and so it's almost like the perfect polarized program and so the body can d- adapt and so it's it's little wonder that folks who've got a swim background have such huge engines and capacity for work um you know
1: yeah i i definitely i definitely believe um i mean sport in general for 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 children it is fantastic whether it's an individual or or, or team but i think uh, agreed with yourself especially with the likes of swimming you just develop this huge cardiovascular capacity that then you can transfer that mm-hmm. onto pretty much any sport and and like you say it was it was it was actually testament how much of your body weight is protected and your and your bones are protected because actually as i transferred into more of a running background um I actually ended up with um stress fractures of my mm-hmm. of my um uh my shins just purely because I wasn't the only impact I'd ever get would be from a tumble turn, which is mi- you know very minimal mm-hmm. to then having to carry and load my body and joints and move at the same time. So mm-hmm. I think nowadays you, you see far more um land training and dry training mixed in with swimmers, which is really good as well for, you know, like you say, gradual development of that motor neuron stuff. <laughs>
0: Yeah and of course if you think about you now what's important for swimming well uh you want toes that can point like ballet dancers. Yeah. You want uh you don't want particularly well developed glutes because that creates a bit of turbulence in the water. Obviously you want big shoulders and a big chest um which means more muscle in the upper body particularly if you're doing things powerful strokes like fly. Yeah. Um so you're not developing the muscles that are going to give you the support to cope with a, a great deal of um, a great deal of running and I know when when Jess Learmonth changed to triathlon they had to be very careful about the amount of running that she did because clearly she could cope with a lot of training um aerobically but her legs couldn't cope with a lot of running um
1: yeah and it's really interesting because you see you see it both ways so I I see it on another side now whereas I I see um <laughs> Doesn't really matter either with age or or gender, but a lot of people that have come from running and cycling backgrounds Mm -hmm. struggle in the swim because they're used to their feet being pretty flat, and then Mm -hmm. we're asking them to be almost little ballet dancers, and it's kind of like, oh, hang on a minute, I didn't realise my calves could do this and actually lengthen nicely, and you know, so the transfer is funny on on that end as well, um, as well as coming from swimming and then going. Right. So I've, I've got to have good, strong thighs. I've got to have glutes for my power. But yeah, I've got to still be quite light and actually not too te- hot, you know, hot up top. So that's where triathlon, as much as actually nowadays, there's a there's a beautiful mix of body shapes and sizes. You, you can probably see mm. coming down the line where danger zones can hit with what you're trying to somatotype for a triathlete.
0: I don't know if you can remember when you went to Loughborough that you know we had the talent program so you were in the regional talent program so even before you went to Loughborough you would have been in that and you'd have had your time trials every October and March and they were purely focused on I don't know if you remember Paul Buxton was the um, talent manager yeah. then and he yeah. I've been trying to find the syllabus that he gave me and Jack when we did the northern region because every region had the same sort of protocols to to work towards and it was all based around we want to find people who can swim and run so you've got to look at kids that aren't quite making it in the swim program with their local clubs and see if those same people are doing the local cross-country leagues or running well. And yeah. so that was my next question really is were you were you doing cross-country for school and doing any running at all then?
1: Yeah, actually I laugh about that because running has never been – as much as I really enjoy running now, I hated running. I hated it. And, and because unfortunately, I, like coming back to the engine – I was the one that was always thrown in to do the 1500s. So Mm -hmm. I borrowed, I I, I was not going to buy any spikes. I always borrowed them from the (laughs) the lost property, had to wear a pair of pants and stuff across country. And the school would just like, get in there, get the points. And then obviously that's how the school's biathlon came around Mm -hmm. that obviously you can do both. You, You came second nationally. And I think with coming back to Paul Buxton, I think that was at the time where it was a case of, head head hunting these talents Mm -hmm. like i say vicky holland was at the same event the year year above me and she got scouted and to be fair they they backed a pretty good horse there so i think i think it i understand their method of it and i i I do um but like i say i think now we can afford to look at you know the broader spectrum of things you know even down to your cyclists, because Mm -hmm. let's be honest in elite training settings a lot of it is about your road riders and how they handle bikes
2: mm-hmm.
1: in the draft a non-draft setting you know and uh, uh, cycling transfer is really lovely to running and as we know if they develop young enough you can really get some pretty good swimmers out of them that will have a really strong back end anyway
0: yeah it was it was interesting when I chatted with non-stanford that you know she came from a uh, quite a high level of running mm-hmm. and when we were talking she said oh yeah but I did used to swim as a child I was pretty good at school and I learned to swim when I was nine and I was in a program until I was 13 or 14 but then running took over so she'd even though she hadn't run a lot sorry she hadn't done a lot of swimming um when she started up with triathlon she still had the basics to go back to so she was yeah. probably ahead of the people who were coming from a pure running background Um,
1: yeah yeah and 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 actually there's a couple of girls that have quite good example I mean Beth Potter look at look at where she's come from. I mean her swimming wasn't even uh, and I hate to I hate to offend her it wasn't bad but in terms of what you were looking at Mm -hmm. uh, for that level it wasn't there but because she just has this phenomenal run and now her biking's just as good she's she's found this swimming and uh, there's been a couple of examples of girls in particular that we've seen that have come through funding and and for whatever reason not and they've always had a fairly strong run background and you can tell that that's where they're looking because they know that they can work on the other two with that element of it's a runner's game in the shorter stuff.
0: I think Gwen Jorgensen might have fallen into that category as well. Um, which yeah. is why she went back to marathon running eventually. But, you know, she yeah. was always, as long as she, if she was there on the bike with you, you needed to be worried. But yeah, obviously you needed to yeah. try and make sure you got rid of her early on. I mean, Mo, yeah. Ma, um, Mola was a good example, wasn't he? Um, that yeah. if he was on the course that enabled him to keep, keep in touch on the pack, he could bridge his way back up to the front pack and then he'd be a danger on the run. I know that that was the tactic from, for Brazil, for Alistair and Johnny, was to get rid of him Um, swim as hard as possible and then go as hard as possible on the first two or three laps to get rid of him. So he didn't pose a threat on the run. And that's exactly what happened.
1: And it's interesting because actually um, I I know from my history of racing ITU that usually you'd find the Americans come from a swimming scholarship. They come from a swim strong background. But like I say, in some of the examples like like her, like Gwen, it it doesn't always ring that true, does it?
0: No, now so let, let's talk about your time at Loughborough then so um you you which part which region were you from
1: uh eastern bads vegas down in essex
0: so were you with dave parry then was he your yes. regional coach yeah, yeah uh,
1: dave parry yeah yeah i saw
0: dave the other week he was at, he was at the outlaw event. i think he might have been in holcombe
1: no way oh i'd love yeah. to have seen him. yeah, yeah. D- dave uh, dave was the one that pretty much got me on the um on on the track for it and uh, yeah, yeah, he was my coach for a long time, actually, before then obviously merging with, with the Loughborough guys.
0: Right. So you went up to Loughborough. So what was that like then? You know, um, probably smaller fish in a bigger pond?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I, I just actually myself at the same time as Rosie Clark, who's, who was my age group, Will Clark's um, younger sister, we, um, we'd we obviously uh, just, just finished doing the World Junior Champs in Gamagori. And actually, ironically, um, even though I was the underdog of the three, um, me, Rosie and Vicky Holland, I actually had the best result of the three. So, you know, I was coming in um, to Loughborough in a good position, um, just come, you know, 18th in the World Juniors. um, And like you say, yeah, very much a little fish in a massive pond. Um, You know, you'll, you'll see the England football team, just trotting along, and then you've got Paula Radcliffe and you know, just a few names just just there, you know, and you think, oh wow, you know, where do I fit in here? But you know, at the same time, it is it's Loughborough. That that's what it's uh-huh. you know, hierarchy is known as. But yeah, it was very um eye-opening, inspiring, but very daunting at the same time.
0: what year did you go there then for the first oh, time?
1: God. Um, it would have been Oh, 2005, I think. So so the, when,
0: well, so, the yeah. so as a performance center, it was in its early it was in its early days then, wasn't it? So I guess that that whole format of of how bringing that squad together would have still been um, taking shape, and again for the coaches leading the program, getting used to running things in a different way.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, looking back now, quite possibly, because when when you see how you know, the, the athletes at Loughborough, but also now Leeds has really come up almost, in my eyes, I think Leeds to me seems the high performance centre. Mm. Um, so you had your Swansea guys and stuff. Yeah, I think I think you can see where there were clearly teething problems, if you want to call them that, at the time. Um, and a lot of it, I assume, especially, especially having an influx of female athletes, that was evident with male coaches, was quite a, quite a shock to the system I think for both sides as the athlete and the coach themselves
0: Mm. so if you look back on your time at Loughborough now just to summarize would you say it was a a happy time for you a struggle or a disaster going there
1: yeah I mean if if I if I'm honest it it it, I just wouldn't have gone I wouldn't have gone full stop and I you know if everyone's blessed with hindsight we'd do so much more but Mm. I, I truly wouldn't, I wouldn't have gone to university to study anyway. So I had to do a study, which is completely fine. And I, I, I really respect that as part of your criteria, but I would have probably, you know, stayed in, in my own little bubble with where I felt comfortable, you know, mm. with the coach I had. Um, and yeah, I, overall, I think it does make me sad because I, I, I always live in the what if category from Mm. My time there, and I think if you were to ask my parents, they would say it was. It was. They call it the Loughborough disease. It's. It's the worst thing that could have happened for a family and parent as well.
0: Mm. Um, So, when you got there, um, what were the things you found different? You know, I mean, did you did you struggle to fit into a a sort of this group format and the group training compared to what you've been doing back at home?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, generally to go away from home. Um, as a student in itself is a huge thing um mm-hmm. you know, to basically have to wipe your own backside you know I've got to cook now for myself I've got to time things I've got to know where th- you know you become this suddenly self-sufficient person and bearing in mind I only ever lived at home I trained mm-hmm. on my own so yeah it was a big big plethora of like shock culture in terms of wow I'm surrounded by equally if not more talented people. Mm-hmm. My bum is not guaranteed on this seat. That was a constant reminder. I'm doing this, I feel for myself, but also the fact that you know I've got my parents backing, I've got to still do a degree. It it was, I think for me as a character, I can't speak for everyone, it was just a little bit too much for mm-hmm. now what I feel is quite a young head.
2: Yeah.
0: And did did you notice that there was a, an uplift in the training volume or were you were you? St- allowed to continue being coached by Dave or did you have to have a coach that was based at loughborough
1: I um initially obviously I had that transfer if you like that handover um but it was pretty much from from the get-go this is what we're doing everyone's doing the same swim pretty much you know on on these days we'll do this and that and and that was it so it was like I say dropped in the deep end and it it was literally a case of shut up and get on with it
0: right and how so how much did you do you think the training increased by over what you were used to
1: I mean I I personally would say if I think about what I, I did aside from the volume of swimming I, I would say it increased by towards 60 percent it was it wow. was a big jump because obviously I wasn't cycling I mean I speak for myself now but I wasn't cycling anywhere near the capacity that I was with these guys I might do a turbo for an hour and a bit and that was me job done that was me Mm. finished but to then ride three hours on a Wednesday with a runoff and then same for the weekends I mean it was it was it was a huge huge volume increase
0: okay and how did you cope with that initially
2: then
1: well again you're in this you're in this mindset of a machine you just get on with it get on with it you know you, you shut up and get on with it it was it was quite drilled very early on that I think it's quite a good thing to you know in in how you word it it was same as what the professors would say to the students at the end of the day we're going to turn up we're going to be here either we're getting paid to still be here or you're going to find that your competitors are still here doing it don't be surprised when they get better so when you turn it around on that you think actually yeah that's that's fair but it was kind of they um rightly or wrongly would have a three strike policy so three strikes and you're out on your own training for a week away from the squad, and that literally made and broke some people. Some people just left the sport completely, and others realised I don't really want to do that again. I'll conform.
0: And what was what what constituted a strike then? Just not turning up for a session?
1: Um, yeah, usually not turning up. Um, and um, they again, it's a great thing. They had a rule of five before five. So you weren't there five minutes before, you were there 10 minutes before. And I, you know, I I, I agree with that, but it doesn't always work out. And let's be honest, when, when you're tired and you're dragging your ass out of bed to swim and some have been to the union, I'm not going to lie, we've all <laughs> been there, we've all had a few, fewer uh, jars you know you're not there and you know rightly so you've got to set an example um but like I say it's just the mannerism that it was done and like I think that's where we were all conveyor belts that we'll all just conform and we'll be the same in that way some were mortified by getting a strike I I was pretty mortified but also didn't care because I could then do what I want on my own training (laughs) yeah whereas I'll use her as an example but Rosie Clark got three strikes because that was Rosie. Rosie, Rosie, bless her, will be late to her own funeral. I know she won't mind me saying that. She is just not conforming on time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But she got three strikes. Realised actually, I, I actually don't really like triathlon that much. Left the sport, and and that mm-hmm. to me was a real loss to the to the squad because she had enormous potential.
0: Yeah, I remember hearing, I'm sure that this is true of lots of universities, but particularly for Loughborough, where there's so much emphasis on sport and study. It's like the three S's, sport, study, and socializing. And if you're going to be successful, you've got to choose which two of those you're going to major at. So you're either going to be great at socializing, good at sport, or great at socializing and studying, but not good at sport. But you probably can't do all three of those successfully in that environment.
1: No, no. And actually, I'd add a fourth S to that, and it would be strike. <laughs> so if you did too much of the socialising, you definitely – you were out on your backside, let me tell you that. Nothing's sacred in Loughborough.
0: Did did the other sports have similar rules then?
1: Uh, I don't know. I mean, if you – it's hard because when you look at what the triathletes did, we were known as, like, the hardcore lot because, obviously, we're, we're devising it – apart from some of the af- athletics guys and girls – we're doing three sports, three disciplines, whereas, you know, you'd have the rugby lot that would renownedly on a Wednesday night in the Union, they would be there and they drank as hard as they played. But we couldn't because we had to be up at such and such Mm. in the morning, you know, so I don't think it was. Um, I think when you, again, once you got to the spiky end of those that were in British athletics or, you know, uh, the cricket or the women's football, um, you did find that generally as a person, a personality, they wouldn't be that type of character anyway to go out and just get sloshed all the time.
0: Mm. Yeah. And you talk about the rugby group and, um, you know, there's a lot of prominent teams at Loughborough. Yeah. Um, did you tend to mix with any of the athletes from other sport, or was it bits like sort of tribes tended to stick together and not socialise outside of that bunch?
1: Well, funnily enough, I was I was probably silver spooned at Loughborough because I um I didn't have the the regular halls um, display if you like. I was in Butler Court, so I was in the sporting block anyway. So I I had. On the on the bottom floor, were always always men for safety. So you'd have some of the athletes, some of the triathletes. Second floor was the England football and football team, women, um, and then our floor would have us gymnastics. So I was actually even surrounded by a, a real mix of athletes in my mm-hmm. block. So yeah, I mean to be honest, once once I ended up getting shunned from funding, and and I joined the triathlon club for Loughborough. I actually found so much more interaction with people um, from the athletic side, from the cycling, as well as, you know, those that wanted to do triathlon. So it was very much, you know, we were in our camp and in our lane where where and Hmm. when we needed it. But actually, there was a good transfer that benefited us with training as well.
0: So can you remember at what stage in your Loughborough um, years that we started working together?
1: Yes. um, So this would have been, um, actually, I would say the second to third year, because I ended up getting an extension to four years, whereas I should have finished in three. And I was out of halls at this point because um, obviously I'd done my first year and I was at that point of meeting you. um, I was quite still in the realms of in in that eating disorder territory, but very much on my own in terms of training. Because I was out of the squad, out of funding, just kind of trying to find my feet within the gates of Loughborough, if you like. So I was always, I always felt like I was, I was here, the squad was here and I was just looking in to something I was once allowed access to.
0: Mm. So, you know, you you just briefly touched on the eating disorder thing there. Um, And it feels like when, when we'd started working together, life at Loughborough was already starting to unravel for you a bit. Um, and then it got a bit worse, didn't it? Um, So can you talk about what what might have been the triggers for that?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, the very, very first day, without any exaggeration, it was kind of like a a once upon a time. Um, The very, very first session, walking on poolside with meeting the squad there and then, Um, and like I say, fresh back from Japan, in a really good place where I, I felt I was in a good place, I noticed that um, where the British Swimming have their strength and conditioning on poolside, some of the lads were going in and weighing themselves for the swim. And I thought, strange. Um, And then we were told, we being the new girls, um, me, Rosie, Vicky, Vanessa, Vanessa Raw, we were told to go and weigh ourselves. I didn't know what I was. I didn't know what a kilogram was. I didn't know anything. And I just naively said I think I was 56 kilos. And um, I remember the coaches sort of talking and nodding their heads, and and sort of not long after that session, they said, you know, not just to me, to a few of us, um, we're going to put you in contact with the nutritionist here under the uh, English Institute of Sport, um, basically to to sort your nutrition out, sort your weight in terms of the uh, the 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 bio science being that the lighter you are to a point, you're going to run quicker. Because you're carrying less, you're not using up as much oxygen, all of that science stuff without any thought of, right, is this going to be actually good for the athlete? It was just, again, a blanket cover of go and see a nutritionist, go and sort yourself out, and then let's see what the results do. And that was it for me. And being in that realm of, it, it's that American at all cost, isn't it? You kind of go, if that's what I've got to do, if that's what's going to keep me on the squad better beating these people, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it the best. And again, it's Taipei character mode of I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it as quickly and as effectively as I can to be the best, even in that little bit of competition.
0: Mm. And do you know how, whether the other girls felt the same? And so then it developed into a sort of like a, a competitive who, eat, who can eat less, who can weigh less, who can lose more type of environment
1: yeah I think I definitely know I definitely know that it was it was around us it was kind of like the unspoken so I was I was aware anyway because of behavioral and it became more more relevant to me on things like training camps and if we were to you know lot I say sleep if we were to lodge with another female it was very it was far more paramount then because you're literally almost living in their quarters of mm-hmm. who have disordered thoughts and eating behaviours and stuff, but uh, the secretive nature of eating disorders are that it is exactly that. It's very much secretive until you physically see the outcome of it.
0: Mm. I did a podcast with Pippa Wolven, who formed the Red S Project, and she talked about when she was at um, college in the United States. And on the running team and obviously she'd gone there with this sort of to try and fulfill some potential and the promise that they'd seen in her but but feeling like the girls were all talking about you know what have you eaten today have you really eaten that i'm not eating that and and it it becoming quite a toxic atmosphere um which which she found quite damaging um she was very open about that do you feel i don't want it to seem like i'm asking you leading questions where you can so, but I'm also interested to get an insight into just how these things sort of snowball and 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 can lead to some quite I don't know whether you'd say unnecessary, but sort of some unpleasant situations. And we have seen it in other sports as well, haven't we? More more recently.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, it's it's very much a living, you are literally living in the pockets of these people. So, you know, you would hear, you would hear that one one of the athletes, who was a male actually, before I'd i gone and joined Loughborough, he he was um, anorexic and he was literally on on death door. He was there. And mm-hmm. his, his last thing was that he didn't want to eat anymore. You know, and luckily he's come out and made a, a recovery. And so it was there. And, and again, living in the quarters of the, um, runners you could tell and you can hear it and you can see and you could physically see there was a girl that had come from my um my area of where I live and I saw her just diminish into this little person and a little bit of me found that competitive because you're in that environment of Jesus they're actually performing and this was the thing you would find that those that I'll use example Vanessa Fernandez eating disorder mm. mm. old medalist you kind of go well she can't be that poor and it can't be that bad for her if she's doing that. You know, there's an example as well of um, a, a USA time trialist. She she speaks freely about having an eating disorder. But again, because I was seeing the some of the other girls in the squad that I knew were either secret eaters or not eating. And again, particularly highlighted on camp, they weren't eating. And you think, right, clearly their bodies can do that. So I'm going to do that. Mm. And it's, and it, and it's that whole thing of you know and again I'm, I'm sure they won't mind me saying it because it's been spoken about but Holly Avil, huge talent such a such a huge talent and lost to the sport again at such a young age because of this focal point of eating and weight and body and not even how the body looks it's mm. it's it's how the body would perform and you just get to that lockdown and you go can't do it I either go that way or I go that way and that's how you see them leave the sport or become incredibly ill and it's it's just it's uh, sadly it's rife but it's good that again we can open up the channels of conversation
0: yeah I, I mean maybe this speaks of a different era and one where we're a bit more knowledgeable now and I certainly don't want listeners to feel like we're pointing the finger at coaching and saying well they started the ball rolling and they should have used different language and been more empathetic and understood that I I think perhaps we've all become more aware of of how these things can just get out of hand. And, yes. you know, again, in that competitiveness and that competitive group, it, it's you can give something a bit of, you know, you can give a fire a bit of fuel and then the fire gets to the point where you can't control it anymore. Yes. Um, and a, again, perhaps, you know, almost 20 years ago, we weren't quite as aware of the, the devastating nature of the outcomes of this on on not on some not just on somebody's performance but on their health and their mental health um
1: yeah and again it's it's very easy like we've mentioned with even organization decisions on things it's very easy for us to go this was your fault this was your doing Mm. and I always live by that you can take a horse to water you can't make it drink now That could have been said to me in the same context, but I'm a different personality or I'm a different headspace. And as you saw, not everyone went that way. You know, Vicky Holland got the same treatment, got the same nutritionist. She's a champion. You know, she didn't go down that parkour. I do think as well, it's down to that individual, what's going on with them, how they're driven. And again, I kind of say that you almost have to be quite, you have to be quite driven to have an eating disorder. and
2: mm-hmm.
1: You can use that in a really great way, hopefully once you come out of that. And I feel I've done that in terms of, I've fought some really dark patches, but I've kind of still fought it. But if I can transfer that to a positive and other aspects of life, you're indestructible. You know, and it, it definitely leads down a path if you want it to, to, to greater things and better things.
0: So- uh, again I'm working from memory here you were training on your own I know that was hurting you a little bit um, mm-hmm. but you were training on your own but you were losing weight and then you developed a knee injury didn't you which was due to losing muscle in your adductor and that meant you didn't have the stability and then so at that point we almost had to call a halt to training and, and do something to help you with your health um, Yeah. so yeah. you went off to see a, a psychologist who specialized in sports and eating disorders in London. Yeah. So, t- t- talk about. I mean, firstly, how did you know? Were you at your which end at that point, or did it did it feel like slightly demeaning to have to go and seek medical help for something?
1: It's a hard one because again, I th- I base that purely as me as the as the individual. I I am stubborn as as much as I hate to say it, I am stubborn, and it's that whole you know. Th- I think even with my parents, my my dad in particular is quite old school. You know, I would say to him, I think maybe I need to speak to someone that I I think I'm depressed. And I think maybe I need to go on, you know, some form of medication just to help me. And, you know, my dad's response was, well, you know, just, just open your curtains. I was like, it's not as easy as that and mm. through, I was fortunate in the terms of having still the British um, medical background uh, support through through triathlon I was able to see this lady and um, even with my parents backing I was able to see um, psychotherapists through Bupa however um, what really drove me to kind of using that as my dissertation piece was the distinction between being um, and forgive me for saying Joe blogs, but f- for being Joe Public with an eating disorder versus an athlete with an eating disorder. Mm. I was, I was Joe Public with an eating disorder. And I'll never forget one of the psychotherapists I saw um, started the explanation of why, why peacocks have elaborate feathers and why monkeys have breasts. Is to attract another mate. And I thought, I have I have no idea where this is going. And instantly <laughs> I shut off. I shut off and I, I cried and I, I left. And another one actually weighed me, which was just the worst thing to do, weighed me and actually said to me in front of my parents at this this consultation, but you've got a lovely figure. And I thought, this this, this is where there's a huge and there still is a huge gap in in the market of the sporting reasons for eating disorders and red S mm. because it's not what we see on magazines. It's not what Victoria Beckham was doing and not doing. It's in aesthetic sports or where the weight is a factor in terms of aesthetics or movement or, or whatever. And there's, there's still not enough research, I feel, in the qualitative data of actually interviewing these people probably because of the shame and the hidden Mm -hmm. nature that eating disorders bring and and yeah that that to me was really paramount in my want to do things like this and open up that conversation and say it's completely different to to what we see in the public's eye of an eating disorder to what we see in an athletics point of view
0: um i've often wondered and out loud sometimes, and maybe that's got me into trouble, about how many athletes are involved in endurance sports and using the sport to hide in eating disorder or disordered eating by by using the by using that excuse. Well, if I'm lighter, I'm going to race better. And it's what my coach wants. And well, everybody else is lighter, so I need to be competitive. And but but in the eyes of the people they're talking to who perhaps aren't that educated about that, that situation that particular situation, it's like, oh yeah, okay, well, that makes sense then. You know, you could talk to a Tour de France cyclist who says, well, I need to be, I need watts per kilo of 6.5 if I want to win the Tour de France. And so I need to lose these three kilos. And you just go, yeah, great. That's it. That's what it yeah. takes to be a champion. Um, And I, I don't know if you've watched the latest Mark, the Mark Cavendish documentary, but, um, you know, if you um, haven't, you should do because he talks, he talks about this with, um, refreshingly and openly. And you can see how it affects men as well. Um, hey,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, red, red S is a thing with men as well. This is what mm. I'm looking into as well. It's a big thing across the board, more so, and again, more so covered by women, but it is, it's is—it's a thing in men as well.
0: So I've i have wondered about how many, not just um, elite athletes, but also age group athletes who convince themselves that they need to go down this path. Um, I had a conversation with somebody yesterday that's doing Ironman, saying, you know, I feel like I'll run faster if I'm, you know, losing weight but it's at a time when they perhaps need to be consuming calories because they're in the biggest part of the training um yeah. so and i also know that people use the training as a as a crutch and a, a sort of a way of doing that so they i can keep eating the same but if i train and i can do a bit more training it's almost like an exercise bulimia isn't it i can i can eat yeah. i can eat a 400 calorie mars bar and then i can go on the treadmill and run until i see the 500 calories figure and then I've, i'm at a net loss so that's fine um but i know training was important to you but you're injured and you've got you've got the injury because of this eating disorder and it means you can't run. So you can't you now can't do the thing that's really enjoyable to you. Um, and, you, you know, you've been diagnosed as having sort of, you know, maybe weak, poor mental health. How did you cope with that whole thing? You know, not being able to train at the same time as you were having this treatment that, that was from what you just said was a little confusing to start with
1: yeah I mean badly um and and the thing as well with with things like eating disorders it's actually it's actually a form of control even though it's out of control you're in control so I actually went from kind of one aspect of actually to to start with I I went with bulimia I I actually even researched this is how this is how much I, I wanted it wrongly but I researched what were the best methods for self purging and you know down to toothbrushes and almost being selective on a toothbrush that's literally how to the letter it got with me instead of now in my mindset going actually what what could i've done in terms of my diet or what could i've done in terms of this i actually went straight for if you like the easy option and financially as well, I was out of control. Genuinely, I was out of control with that. I would I would send, you know, a text to my mum saying, are you able to put, you know, a little bit of money in my account? You know, and they'd be like, well, blimey, it's only you there. What are you shopping for? And I think that obviously became clear that I was actually putting myself in debt by just buying food to purge literally something that I felt was my emotions. Uh-huh. Thing I could control yeah and it, it really did I generally was in my overdraft and normally people do that from just being at uni but I was doing that to, to <laughs> literally self-abuse you know and that's where there's real fine lines with it being an addiction it, it was something that I felt like I'm I'm not worthy anymore I've been thrown out you know my parents must be disgusted in me you know I, I'm gonna fail in terms of my degree I'm a bad person this and that and that so that was my form of self-destruction button. And again, I, 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 I've never been to the point where I didn't want to ever be here full stop. But I, I was really close to that whole, I'm, I'm just, I'm a useless person. And I, my my biggest thing in life is I want to be of worth to, to something or some people mm. or just to be, not even known in that. I don't mean that self-fulfilling, but I I don't want to just be someone that just has a start and end in life. And I felt like that was I was just doing that and not actually being any person. I was just a no one. And I found that really, really horrible in that period of life that I just felt so unloved. And it, it upsets me looking back at that to think that that's how I, I made myself particularly feel.
0: Mm. So how long did it take you before you started to feel like you were on an upswing
1: quite a few years in honesty because like I say it's not one of these miracle things that you just wake up one day and and go oh I've had enough of this now you know as much as I think my mum and dad thought I would wake up one day and spring out of bed and yawn and everything was wonderful and you know it, it it was for me I had to finish my degree that was that was one thing I felt I owed it to my parents more than anything. Um, Anything else, I felt like I'd failed them and myself. But I owed it to them. And I did owe it to the university for allowing me to extend it to to finish it. It wasn't a great degree, but I did it. And I came out, and that was my bit of survival. And I was like, get me out of here. I want to go home and set up. And obviously, it's a bit like going back into your favorite slippers. I was like, right, I'm home. I know my whereabouts. Mm -hmm. And slowly but surely, I just found a bit more about confidence and slowly was able to get myself in a better position. That I brought the training back in my own self, my own pace, self dictation. I started a, a, an affiliated triathlon club that actually did the relays a few years back, many years back now. And I just felt, I said this in another podcast, I, I had that crossroads, whereas. I either left the sport completely and it and it destroyed me or I gave back to the sport and I'm a big believer in giving back and I felt that even if I've kind of copped it for myself I can actually through my experiences and um, if you like qualifications or if you call it that can give back to the sport and that's what I did I just obviously started coaching and you know, dipping back into my own stuff, racing again and just, just kind of working my way from the bottom again mm. to to wherever it is now, really, but on my own dictation.
0: When we talk about Red S, and I know that you've mentioned there quite rightly that it doesn't just affect females, but when you know how um Red S started out as um um female athlete triad, didn't it? Yeah. And you know, loss of monthly cycle, um, osteoporosis or development. that I can't remember what the other one was. But
1: osteopenia. But
0: I've, osteopenia. I've, I've had yeah.
1: that in my lumbar spine.
0: So you, you start to develop these other things that are happening that yeah. obviously are going to affect your general health. Um, and obviously that's a concern then for you as a female about, you know, having children and having a family and, you know, how you'll be in your maybe non-triathlon career. Um, so as we talked about at the beginning you've had you've had four children now which that that's a you know I don't know whether you'd say it was a miracle but it's certainly uh it's certainly a fairly big turnaround but yeah, you know matters. as you, uh, at, at any point um I, I guess you were experiencing all of those things that I just mentioned then while you were yeah. going through this eating disorder were you
1: yeah 100 percent um and again I, 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 when we first started about saying how a somatotype needs to be for triathlon, I found very quickly that where I was lo- losing so much body fat and, um, and all of that, obviously I, I was constantly cold. I, I could run well, I couldn't bike for toffee cause I'd no power. I'd no backside. And I, I, I actually from swimming, I, I had to swim in a wetsuit because I was so cold, but also non buoyant from that. Um, And I actually did a a study um, because obviously being there, there's a lot of medical students that want freebies, bodies. So I gave my body to them and said, look, I'm pretty useless now. Test me out. They did a DEXA scan, which is for your bone mass um, and Mm -hmm. and all of that. And it was only there that it came out that obviously my blood hormone profile was very low, which I knew anyway because my periods had shut down for nearly two years, which at the time didn't bother me. It was actually – Saving me effort, saving me, you know, a ball ache every month. And at the same time, I wasn't bothered because I certainly wasn't looking at having any children at that point at 21. Um, But they also found that I had osteopenia, um, so weak and brittle bones in my lumbar spine. Um, And they said, you know, there's other areas of your body that are flagging up and you you need to really sort this out. Because once that goes into porosis, that's irreversible. Mm-hmm. Again, naively at that time, I thought, well, you know, if I can still do my things, I'm not that bothered really. But again, not blessed with hindsight, when you look at it now, and someone said to me back then, you could really stop completely having any form of fertility and have bad bones, you'd go, it's a no brainer. What do I need to do to fix this? You know, but again, mm. you're in that mindset of, well, as long as I can train, I'm not really that bothered.
0: Mm so so at that point then you weren't you weren't that concerned but um
2: did, no.
1: did,
0: did, did it ever did it ever concern you or did you just think once you were recovering you were you were going to be okay
1: I never really had it on my focal point I think again from being being quite selfish in the fact that I, I still had my goals my 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 youth, if you like, and everything. And actually, even from meeting my husband, who is—he'll hate to say this—14 years older than me, he had has three children. So I was kind of in the mindset of, well, technically, I've you know I can inherit three children, and job done. Um, But it was only as obviously I started to 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 be a little bit more family orientated that I realised actually there was a little bit of a longing there. And have I gone too far and almost, excuse the pun, copped it up in terms of what my body is able to do? And mm-hmm. fortunately, not the case, but it did, te- I did have to have some intervention in terms of um, um, the, like doctor giving some he- health and hormonal advice. And I um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: can't remember the name of like the pill now. I'm sure someone will come and tell me, but I did have to have like a treatment of that to almost get. If you like, get the eggs and that going again, okay. and then we've surpassed any expectation.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Two <These> six halves,
0: <laughs> absolutely not. So that's so that's four of your own and three three stepchildren now. So that must make it very busy at Christmas time.
1: Very busy, very expensive, um, and my poor husband. He's like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. <laughs> <You> <laughs> Probably my eternal live... sleep.
0: I'm going to say you're not living in a shoe, are you? Oh, like, Mother, like, like Mother Hubbard.
1: <laughs> I feel like that sometimes. I honestly do. I think, I, I think I'm, I I always say my house, I'm like a pirate. I probably drink too much and swear too much. That's just how the ship runs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you seem to be doing a good job now. So you you were, <laughs> how old were you when you got back into triathlon then? like, Or oh, how many years after Loughborough was it before you felt like you were able to actually sort of do a competition and just turn up for the fun of it? Or did you still have that competitiveness about you?
1: I've always had the competitiveness there, um, but I had to. It sounds silly because, again, I'm even even now I'm very much a nobody in in terms of triathlon. But it was really difficult for a small period to find myself again. As in, you know, yes, you'd get write ups about this, and you were on the squad, and I was on, you know, known on Twitter at the time, and whatever. And then to step away from that, I kind of lost my identity. I feel, and even if sadly, even now a little bit, I feel like when that goes, if that goes, who actually am I? And I can answer that better now. But at that time I thought, just Triathlon, define me. And I still feel mm-hmm. that yes, to a point it does. Um, but I also had that mindset of I now am doing this for me. Whatever comes of it is on me. It's not, it's not about. The result it's about the process and I'm very much in that outcome process based um focal point when it comes to my athletes as well and like I said before you you do find that some coaches or platforms kind of look on the outcome to look good back on them mine mine purely from my history is actually not the outcome because the outcome can ruin the enjoyment of the process so it's very much at that time the process of actually getting myself slowly back up the little rungs of the ladder and just Mm. where can I go with this?
0: Yeah, I I think you're right about the outcome. Um, If that's all that coaches are focused on for an athlete and if if that's all athletes are focused on them from us, from themselves, you know, we saw it with, we saw it with the pandemic, didn't we? That when, when folks didn't have the, the outcome of a race to look forward to a lot of them were lost for those who had, the love of the process and just going out on the bike and you know being able to go running on their own um and and just look for different things like fastest known times and you know let's see what 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 finding some new routes those are the people who who seem to thrive
1: yeah, um yeah. and, and I, I I think that's sorry I think that's I think that's completely right and and I'm very much in that ballpark of holistic I mean I I think nowadays we get so so bogged down by Well, my watch is saying this and my whoop is saying this and my lactate reader saying this and like but how do you feel how do you feel and how did you do and you know sometimes you know we all get those days where we think oh I can't be bothered and you drag yourself out and actually you have a breakthrough session you know and I think COVID like you say and and Zwift in particular Zwift was at just huge huge thing I think it blew up and you see this this huge um increase in in particular, you see women these women bikers now I, I think during yeah. the pandemic Swift just revolutionized you know how how we are as even cyclists you know and competitors and actually that a lot of us can do it in the comfort of our own home and still be actually pretty bloody good
0: yeah I I you know, the whole holistic thing has been something that I've been um speaking about now probably for about the last ten years. And I'm I feel like I'm getting some traction now, but it's taken a while. And mm-hmm. it you know, I feel like People view me as a heretic sometimes when I say just get rid of all the gadgets. And when you wake up in the morning, if you don't feel like going for a run, you don't need to do it, you know. Or yeah. if 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 you were if you wake up today and you're so full of beans that you want to put a few sprints in or smash it up every hill, go for it, you know. Just yeah. because the program says, well, you're doing this on Saturday. That's that's just because when you wrote it, that's what you were going to try and do. But now your body's got different plans.
1: Hundred um, percent, yeah. But, and, and same same with you know some of my athletes. If 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 I've seen the feedback that you know there's actually very quickly a a, a new girl has just come to me from another coach and she was constantly doing big miles big big hours every week and looking back on the training peak she was saying I'm tired haven't hit this haven't done this but it wasn't being rectified or recognized Mm -hmm. and actually she developed red s and it was only till a doctor said you need to stop that then the coach was like okay we'll take it back a bit but now she's come with me we're doing less but we're doing more in terms of your, your quality. And there's no way she could hit the mileage that she was without falling apart because we're focusing on, and she's a plasterer, she's a builder. So she's she's working long, hard days and then trying to smash herself at the end of it. You think you've got to know the athlete. And I think coming back to Loughborough, that's where it was missed. We were all seen as just this conveyor belt of literally these, these casted, moulded, athletes that we all thought the same we all swam and biked and ran the same and we all functioned the same and and it it truly isn't like that whether you're at the top end or whether you're at grassroots same in education we all do things differently no one's reinventing the wheel with triathlon and training Mm. it's just for me again from a coach point of view how does that person work what's going on around them to make them get the best out of you as the coach but also the plan
2: I had
0: a guest on the show a few weeks ago called Gordo Byrne Gordo's been around in triathlon a long time actually got himself right up to the very top of Ironman you know coming second in a couple of big events um, and then took some time out to have children and raise a family with his wife and now he's come back into the sport as a 50 plus athlete and he's been sharing some of his wisdom on podcasts <laughs> one one of the phrases I really liked from him was that people don't often overtrain but they are oh, they do overlive so back to your point about the lady that's a plasterer you, people, you might think overliving is where i've been out partying and going to bed late it's not it's just all the stuff in your life plus all the training means the cup's overflowing and yeah. you know it, every every vessel only has such so much volume and stress which is your life yeah and everything that happens in your life is stress and training is stress. And so you can only pour so much stress into that vessel before it overflows. And that's overliving. And some weeks you can get by on or get away with this amount of training. And the next week you can't. Um, And managing somebody's life, like you you mentioned is something I think a lot of coaches don't do. And they don't have conversations with people where they're asking them. So how do your legs feel today? Are you fatigued? Are you sleeping well? How motivated do you feel to train today? Because for me, well, if somebody really likes riding a bike or going running and they're now saying, I can't be bothered, that's a red flag. Yeah. You know, and, but, but a lot of people don't pick up on it, I think. And it, it you know, well, the Garmin says the data on the Garmin says that they're improving their fitness and they're sleeping. Okay. Yeah. But that's, that's just data and it's yeah. objective. You need subjective feedback from people to really tell you. And and, and like you said, um, and this is something that comes out from all of the, you know the really top level coaches i have talked about is they're really good at understanding the person and listening to the listening to the hidden messages that are coming out of their their mouth
1: yeah i mean one expression that both my husband and i use both with him with his work colleagues and me as a coach some need an arm around their shoulders others need a kick up the ass yeah. and, and it's it's recognizing that you can't kick someone up the backside that needs an arm and vice versa you know and mm-hmm. But that's, the, that's what blows my mind at the same time, because that's surely as coaches what what should be done is, again, I don't have X amount of athletes that are monotonous. How boring would that be? I like the challenge of, right, this person's a single parent. This person is in the Navy, so he's going to be on a ship. Like, I like that difference, but it's, it's very paramount. And again, I go back to autocracy, and I found that that was very much poignant in the camp. At Loughborough. it was very much just do it don't ask any questions just do it trust the process but mm. you, you very few places in the world can work like that you know and you definitely need that two way because how, how how can you have that understanding without that conversation and that feedback from both sides to get that you know the best out of not just the athlete but the coach as well you know
0: I very much doubt that we'd have seen the success we did from Alistair and Johnny Brownlee if they'd been told exactly what they had to do because you know as personalities I know that they wouldn't have stood for that and I feel like at the, at the time they were coming through they also had two coaches who understood that and were uh, allowed that allowed them that autonomy and I know that didn't sit some well sometimes with the the the, the folks that were higher up at Loughborough but you know it got british Triathlon on what they wanted which was gold medals um
1: yeah, and like I say, they had a lot of faith in in Glenn Cook and, and again he would come on camps and sometimes you'd kind of hear the, oh well, why can't our coach come on? But it worked for them. And like you say, if that's what works, and that's you know, I'll mm-hmm. never forget when we did when we did Japan, all of us had like a generic toast and whatever for breakfast. And I remember Ollie Freeman and, and Brownlee and that, they, they, um, they ordered rice. They're having rice at like two in the morning.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: that works for them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So be it. You know, if you're going to get the best out of someone, you you've you've got to work it to, to what that person needs.
0: Let's talk about your life, Natalie. I'm I'm amazed that you managed to do what you do. I mean, you you I could see you wearing your long course weekend t shirt. You had a pretty oh, good result yeah. there, right? Didn't
1: you? I'm strong. Yeah, that was um that was a, a very, very good weekend. It's um, although I will say this as a disclaimer, for those people that said to me, <laughs> you know what you did at long course weekend, breaking an Ironman into three days is so much harder than an mm-hmm. Ironman. They lied, they lied because no, you can have a rest, you can put your feet up, you can put your compressions on and have a shower. They lied, but mentally, actually, I found it harder doing the the long course weekend because you've got to keep your head in the game for for three days on the trot, and especially where I was in the focal point of. I'm gonna go here and win it I was you know I was having to use my maths and timing and tactics whereas mm-hmm. actually for everyone else it is purely about the satisfaction of just getting out there and enjoying it and challenging yourself
0: I, I think most people speak from their own personal experiences don't they so maybe, maybe folks who are less conditioned than you now probably would find it um <laughs> harder starting again rather than just keeping going on the run um yeah but you were uh, so you backed that up then with um, with your victory at Outlaw.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wow, mad, mad. And again, I came off the long course and I thought, I'm not sure I can put that together in in three. And you know, it's that whole case of, well, you have to and you can. And and this is the thing, with me out, Outlaw was just my target as purely not even to go and win it obviously i had that little bit in my head secretly up until the day but i i've always had this mental block with ironman distance or the long distance distance that i just i know i can do it if someone said to me right tomorrow you're going to go out and do a long distance triathlon i know i can do it and and that's what makes me cross with myself that i would watch these events and go I can I can I know I can do that, but I think again from my past, it's having that little bit in my head and then in, in, you know, like I said, I've got someone on this side, someone on this side, and I've got this side saying, just go and do it. You're doing it for enjoyment, you're doing it to get around and it's a challenge. And I've got this side saying, Yeah, but people are gonna have this expectation and time and you know, and that's always put me off. Mm-hmm. And it was only only till I did you know, I've, I've done people's plans and I've just had someone do Sweden, and Man, and various other events and, and long distance. And I thought, what's your excuse? What's your excuse? Because you've got it in your locker. And actually, how can I, how can I devise a plan that I haven't actually done the outcome of? And that was it for me. I was like, you're going to have to just go, go and do it. Just go and do it. And I think that's the best way to do it is to live it. And I can honestly say, yeah, this did this, this went wrong. I, I found that my personal experience of this and that, and, you know, I can now say I've done it. I've done it, and yes, I will do it again after two days of saying I never would, <laughs> um, you know, and I am, I'm doing Portugal. And, uh, yeah, so I'd never say never, basically.
0: So that's, that's Portugal this year. Is that end of October?
1: Yeah, October the 21st.
0: Ah, so listeners will have heard you talking here, and then they'll be able to look forward to that race.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. Hopefully, more than I will, I think. But uh, yeah, no. It, I, I, I've been, I've trained there with the Portuguese squad, and uh, I've ridden around Kashkan. It, it's just beautiful. Like Portugal in general, is stunning. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it'll be, it'll actually be my first pro entry as well because I did, I did take a, aside from the two, try two four seven article which was written quite a while back now from John. I have actually said that I will do one season with my pro card just because I'm not getting any younger. I'd like to think that um maybe it's inspirational. Um and absolutely under no illusion that I'm not going to be rocking up anytime soon, given uh, you know, Lisa Norden and Daniela Reef any runs for their money. I'm very much not disillusioned about the level of pro I'm going to be looking at targeting. <laughs>
0: Well, let's let's talk about how you fit all this training in around all those other commitments you've got. I mean, you, you I guess you're you're not doing a high volume program, are you? Unless you're not sleeping.
1: Ooh, no. One thing I prioritize, and I have to say, I live for the nanny nap. I live for the nanny nap, and anyone that knows me knows that I have a window in every day that I I will give to myself, and I will give a nanny nap to myself. Um, just again, a bit of a a bit of a way of just shutting the computer down really because I normally have very long busy days either with the children with workload with training but um like I said in the interview um at, at the end um of Outlaw it's very much ham and egging so my husband and I ham and egg so we just we work it out so I know that in periods of time that he'll be here right here working I've got like in the background, I've got the watt bike, I've got the treadmill. So if I've got the children here, which I have, I can jump on these and that, you know, that's where it's very beneficial. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's years of having mileage, I think, in my legs. Unfortunately, again, and I don't mean that to sound arrogant by any means, but I I just don't swim. Um, I should swim and I will be swimming a lot more because I need to. But I think from years of that, that, that cycle of just miles and miles and mileage and mileage i've i've fortunately got that backing and that background and that engine that i don't need to put loads of time into the swim so i do give myself more of a heavily based bike and particularly run um weekly schedule that i just self input because i know that for me with having a coach is is sometimes a little bit difficult with trying to fit in my my time scale
0: So you're saying you don't swim at all or you just don't swim as much as people might expect?
1: I don't really swim at all. And that's a horrible admission. um, Because I just, I'll be honest with you. I even down to when I've gone on holidays with the children on the rare that we can now go, I don't like getting in the pool because I've had so many years of it. Mm -hmm. My visions of being in the pool is putting a hat and goggles on. And the minute I do that, I've got a swim session in my head. So Mm -hmm anything it's in the enjoyment's been sucked out of me
0: <laughs> so um you don't swim rough roughly what does your bike week look like how many miles are you covering or do you do you base it on hours on the hours on the bike
1: more hours really um i try and hit i try and hit over sort of six seven hours if i can um but like you'd said it's it's not like i do three four hours on there first of all mentally it's just torture but more the fact of I don't really have those periods of time particularly but what I will do um is is put the quality in so I usually will do the Thursday team time trial events um which I think are, are really beneficial um because they're a great they're a great session with other people and you don't really know how hard you've worked but you've worked um so that's quite a nice thing for me as like a regular um and then yeah just 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 finding blocks within a session I I, I don't just normally ride or run I will always usually put something in to mix mm-hmm. it up but also to give me that sharper end quality
0: and you mentioned the whoop earlier Are you using that and wearing it regularly
1: I actually don't myself because again I think I'm that person that would get I don't like I don't even weigh myself I don't I I go a lot holistically by how I feel. I think if I then go too much down that line, I know myself as a character that I won't, I probably will overanalyze. So I don't personally, but I am hearing a lot more people sort of utilizing them.
0: So everything's relaxed. It's based on feel. If you need more sleep, you'll try and get it and you catch up with a nap. Um, How do you view nutrition these days? You know, given what we talked about and your your past, are you very relaxed about it or are you still fairly structured in what you eat?
1: I'm I'm quite a creature of habit. Um, and again, I think th- this is something else that's been sort of not discussed, but hopefully will be discussed more. Um, and, and we see that again, not just in, in athletic populations, but also in the general public is orthorexia. So again, it's not a very mm. well-known term, but if, if I'm honest, I think from looking at what the description is, I would probably say I sway on orthorexia in terms of I I will eat the same thing. I'm a very much creature of habit and I will almost have the same thing every day. As boring as that sounds, that's just where I sit. And and I do still I am still quite strict as in I just try and beat myself from myself, as in I couldn't, I couldn't go and have. Let's say a burger and chips after an event. As much as I absolutely earned that, and calories-wise and stuff, I can. I just I can't have the mindset, and I would rather just completely eradicate that and not have the guilt associated with that that I know from past. So I don't fully believe the eating disorder is ever going to completely be eradicated from my life, and I, I, I struggle to believe that with anyone, but. I control it instead of it controls me. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm more of a picker. But they do say little pickers have big knickers. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I've
0: Luckily, never, heard, I <laughs> never heard. I've never heard anyone say that. Have you so, not? Well, no. well,
1: normally if you think about picking mentally, having picky bits and tapas, you think, oh, I've only had little bits, but actually, mm-hmm. if you put it on a plate, you've actually probably had a meal and some. So they say little pickers actually have big knickers, but. Luckily, I burn my, uh, my I burn mine off, I think. But, um, yeah, I, I think for me mentally, um, eat the apple, for example, I had to really fight myself to have two jacket potatoes and a whole tin of baked beans, which for most people is like, what's the problem? But because of the sheer amount of it, and I, I just had these thoughts in my head of, you can't eat that. Like, this is almost like a red area. You can't eat this. I had to really just almost shut myself up and say, you need this, you've got a really long day tomorrow, this mm. is just a dip in the ocean, you know, and even down to even down to nutrition on the day of the race, You, you I simply defy anyone that can have an eating disorder and and, and get through something as fast as an iron distance or a long distance, Ironman, whatever, because you need the calories, but you also need the mindset to allow yourself those calories. Mm. So that's where I really have to change it. And instead of, Training to eat, I eat to train.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, it's, it's interesting the strategies that you've had to employ just to manage that situation, really.
1: Yeah. And, and that, I mean, that's, that's not just been born overnight. That's come through a lot of things. And actually, even, even from my pregnancies, and particularly now I've got children that are in earshot and can hear and read and understand things and whatever, I'm very mindful that I've, I've got to, portray this as well to them about, you know, healthy eating. You eat the bad stuff to eat the good stuff and vice versa, you know, balance. And I'm very mindful of wording of things. You know, Mm. I I say in front of them, I'm having a fat day, because stuff like that very quickly implements in in especially little ears. Mm. Uh, It's um yeah, it's something to be very mindful of, I think. And that that's the same with coaching. Just just certain wordings and how you deal with you know certain topics i think you've got to be a bit mindful of
0: yeah yeah you absolutely have i was just thinking then as you were talking about you know the parenting skills that that is the same as coaching is how you word things um little phrases little throwaway phrases that you might use um i i learned very early on not to talk about weight or weight and linking weight to performance with athletes male or female um yeah. and if i felt like Somebody had an issue with their nutrition that might be limiting them from achieving their goals. I would always ask them how they felt that they could, you know, make the gains that they wanted and see what they came back with. Occasionally they would say, Well, I feel like I could lose some weight. And that would then give me the opportunity to ask them other questions. But I never wanted to feel or wanted them to feel like I was the one that was suggesting that this is the path that we need to go down. And I feel like, um, that's become even more important these days. I, de- I definitely don't want to be associating having a six pack and being super lean with being fast. And I can always remember Dan Blue's telling me um, when he was in Leeds, he said, yeah, I've, what I've learned, say si, is that if I'm this weight, I'll run well, but I won't cycle or swim well. And if I'm this weight, I will swim well and cycle well, but my running's a bit slower. But triathlon's a compromise. A bit like you talked about with having stiff ankles for runners and floppy ankles for swimmers. Triathlon yeah. is a compromise. And sometimes you, you know, what you think is the ideal will only suit one one aspect and it and it's and it's more than just that. And I, I think one one thing I do feel, um I don't know how you feel about this now, but one thing I do feel when I listen to coaches talk and when I listen to some athletes talk is they will, for instance, I'm going to ask you about strength training in a minute. But when I hear people talking about strength training, they'll say, well, there's no evidence it's going to improve my performance. You know, there's no evidence I'm going to get faster. And, And that's right. There isn't. And as much as I'm a big fan, I'll agree with that. But let's put the human being first before we put the athlete first. Strength training might actually help you to increase your muscle mass which as an older person is probably a good thing. It will help with balance and coordination and stability. It'll probably help you be more re- resilient and robust. It will help with your metabolism. So there's there's now we've ticked eight boxes of how it's going to help you become a healthy human being. And actually, if you, in nearly every case, athletes that are healthier tend to perform better as, uh, you know, in their sport. Um, yeah. whereas, whereas if you're not healthy, it's going to be very difficult for you to get the outcomes that you want. Um, and I do think coaches tend to talk about, well, there's no evidence he's going to help my athlete, but you're not, you haven't got an athlete in front of you other than for a few hours a week, you've got a person in front of you.
1: Yeah, no, and, and, and agreed. And, uh, you know, I'm finding this a lot more. And, and one of my questions I ask within a, a new athlete is do you have access or do you do strength and conditioning? Mm-hmm. And, I, I I endorse it and again we're st- we're still though living in this for females this this mindset of well I don't do weights because I don't want to get massive you're not you're, and, unless you're eating like a horse and you know you're probably even taking something very very unlikely and actually the the evidence now and I'm I'm really keen on taking on board more perimenopausal and menopausal women that actually, you got to lift heavy shit. This is what they're saying, literally those words. Lift it because you don't use it, you lose it. You know, you don't you don't utilize these muscles in terms of you know our hormone profile and stuff. And you know, actually, the argument with the fast thing, technically, you look at you look at yes, okay, mass in terms of muscle is twice that of fat understood. But if you can actually recruit more muscle fibers of the right type, then actually yes, you could go faster because you're you're strengthening and recruiting these areas. Mm. Um you're injury reducing, you're building a better base. And actually therefore you're you are going to get faster and better in terms of consistency. That that athlete's going to be breaking down a lot less. So you've got consistency. And, and, and that athlete's probably able to train harder and more intense because of what you've gained from that. So actually, to a point, even though there's no science there in terms of black and white, actually, when you think of it, you're getting a stronger build of a person with a bigger shield, an armory, that will give you more consistency. And therefore, you can only see progression with that, whether it's faster, longer, higher, whatever,
0: I'm just looking for something now that was 45 tips for, from Katie Ledecky, right, about her training. And I don't know if I'll be able to find it quickly like this, but um, they talked about strength and conditioning and being in the gym. Oh, yeah. Number 43, the main goal of dry land work is to keep the swimmer healthy. Never had any problems with the shoulder. The coach credits a strength coach. The coach told the strength coach that his job was to keep her healthy, not stronger. The strength coach bought into that. So basically, if you're an endurance sport, the role of strength training is to ensure that you can turn up for your swim, bike and run as often as possible. Yeah, And I mean, obviously, there's other factors in there as well, but that, that's, that's where it should be. And if you listen to the physios, one of the reasons why people get injured is because they have um, – below adequate strength and so then they'll give you exercises to do to improve your strength so you can cut out the middleman which is expensive and frustrating yeah. by just doing it in advance anyway and oh, to that's... me to me that's a no-brainer but I keep it having is. to tell people like listen eventually you will get injured and you're gonna to have to do this stuff so just give in now and start straight away
1: yeah it's you know silly things like you know you moan about the cost of a gym membership well let's let's think about the cost of seeing a physio or an osteopath or buying yeah buying into your your rehab actually it's quite cheap then to have a gym program yeah i do feel like it's one of those central core thing literally in terms of your core but actually
2: mm-hmm.
1: having that core we can't just run and run and run and run and run or do all of that we need to have specific targets and yes you can get strength gains from doing over gearing in the bike and whatever but to actually tweak and target and i come back to not swimming what I do do is I do a hell of a lot of cable work in the gym Oh yeah, yeah. and I've done videos of it and I utilize exactly the same stroke and that tricep pull comeback, you know, and I feel that, yes, I've got my own background of swimming and that's the pyramid that I've built, but I also can get in quite quickly. And because I've engaged and utilized the same muscles similar to that of swimming, It's like I haven't really left. And at the end of the day, the body doesn't really know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. It's just doing it to what you've asked it to do, and you can transfer it. That's why we do strength and conditioning.
0: I I put a post up last week asking whether triathletes should do strength training. And on the whole, the answers were yes. And there was, you know, very pleasingly to me anyway, um, a lot of people saying, yeah, and it's really important as you're getting older, which I you know, endorse wholeheartedly, but there were, there were quite a few people, including some coaches saying no, because you can get strong enough through, you know, to your point, swimming with paddles, cycling uphill, running hills. Right. But if, when you've got somebody who comes to do an outlaw event, they're probably doing eight to 10 hours training for, for six months. Right. So that's 26 weeks. That's several hundred hours of training. Right. If those repetitive actions made somebody stronger, why would we see everybody shuffling towards the end of the run, bent double from the hips, with the head and their neck dropping because the shoulders are so tired? You know, if 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 this was this if swimming, biking or running was this amazing strength program, everybody would arrive at the finish line looking like you, Natalie, tall. <laughs> still running with some bounce I mean you probably didn't feel like that for you but to everybody else looking you're still in control of your posture and you're still able to look like a runner and um as you go back through the field you know all due respect to everybody that's training but they look less and less like runners and I've been in that position myself and thought you know what I'm not out of breath my heart rate's less than 100 it's not my engine that's letting me down here and I sound like a stuck record when I'm talking about this but it's you know and you talk about feeling old well I'm older than you Nat and so you know sometimes I feel like a classic car from the 1960s I've got this great engine but the bodywork's letting me down and I and I have to and I have to spend my time and so does everybody else Working on the bodywork, making sure the suspension's strong, making sure that bits aren't falling off when they shouldn't be.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, tall is one thing I've never been told I am, so I thank you for that. But yeah, no, 100%. (laughs) It's almost like if you look at the trajectory of time from Homo sapiens, where they then start to stand that's almost yeah. like going backwards in Iron Man. You kind of have <laughs> yeah. those and then they just go slowly backwards, don't they? <laughs> I, I, I might get yeah. And, I might um, get an
0: I might get an infographic drawn like that about you yeah, yeah, this I is the, the this is the evolution of man, this is the devolution of a triathlete. <laughs>
1: that's it. And um actually coming back to the paddles comment, um one thing that I'm and again, I'm probably going against the grain here, but it's just purely from feedback but from experience. I actually, again, with with new athletes, I say, look, I'm not going to ever tell you what to do and what to buy and stuff, but my suggestion is nine times out of ten, they're not from a swimming background. That's almost a guarantee with triathletes. But I actually, I fully endorse the finger paddles. Mm -hmm. Um, Fairly cheap, but the finger paddles compared to, you know, these big old plates, they have their place in swimming. But at the same time, if you've got someone with poor technique, bad stability, low cadence anyway, and certainly don't use the end phase of the pull stroke, for me, those paddles are as good as in the packet because Mm -hmm. they're going to slow that athlete down anymore. And again, I'm finding rotator cuff issues. And it's again, it's, it's just the fine tweaking of stuff. And that's where... Again, from experience, I can just suggest it. I can't make people do it, but I mm. suggest it, and I, th- I found that that's been quite good in terms of injury reduction in in, mm. in, in swimming. Anyway,
0: yeah, good point. I, I I agree with you about having small paddles. Definitely, I've seen a lot of athletes using these big dinner plate sized things and thinking, well, if you've got perfect technique, that's great, but if your technique's poor. Yeah, you know, then it's a bit like trying to run pulling a sled. You know, you never see anybody running with very good technique for long pulling a sled, and in the end, they adapt their technique to be able to pull the sled. But yeah, that's that's not what we want as a runner. So, that, um so. I think you, you're right. It's a tool, isn't it? And if the tool is used in the right way to develop something, but it shouldn't. That that whole thing is if all you've if all you've got's a hammer, everything just becomes a nail.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So,
0: true. yeah. So, um. I've, I've loved the conversation that you've been really open and sharing and I, I thank you for that. And I'm really appreciative, particularly when you're talking about your own um, problems around um, your eating disorders and you recover from that. It's really, really, really useful. Um, and and uh, hopefully that there'll be some listeners, whether they're going through this themselves or um, seeing it with friends or colleagues, uh, are at least able to. Maybe identify the symptoms and point them in the right direction, and we will share some of the red. I'll share some of the red s links at the end of the, um, at the end of the show in the show notes. Um, but what I'm interested in now, now you talked about going to you Are you going to do the man Um, out there. Um, you're gonna. I see you've got some nice ink work on your arm there. Have you got space for an M dot tattoo?
1: Oh, I don't know. My husband's got one. Um, I don't know. I'll have to get the outlaw one as well, though, won't I? i'll have to do both
0: one on each leg i saw i saw saw, saw lots of people coming across the finish line with an m on one calf and an empty calf and thinking well you need to finish that off mate
1: yeah yeah yeah, maybe because i've never obviously i've never gone into the whole m dot with the thought of getting that and my husband (laughs) said you cannot if you know it's a half you can't get half an Iron, Iron Man or whatever it is, he said, you know, you've got to do a full and get it done. So I think, to be honest with you, I think, again, just getting round will be enough for me and hopefully doing it justice on my first sort of debut, if you like. But, um, yeah, again, I, the biggest thing for me, and I've made that very known to myself first and foremost, is, one, I've chosen to take the licence. Two, I'm under no illusion that I'm I'm very much a second, third tier pro and three i've got to still remind myself why i've done that why i'm doing it and that i i i'm doing it for me i'm not doing it for kudos i'm not doing it really for monetary wise i'm just doing it because it's an opportunity and i feel like if i can use that to my advantage to support and inspire other people mm. that that's to me is job done
0: well you know as coaches we're in a privileged position aren't we because um we're We're influential, maybe not to a huge degree of people, but certainly the people who are in our little tribe and in our little environment and community. And, you know, by you being so open and sharing about the the sort of challenges you've had to this point and the challenges that you've got ongoing, I I think that's inspirational. So, I, you know, I really hope that you can continue doing that, Natalie, and sort of fly the flag and, um, you know, maybe be a point of contact for people who are having similar challenges as yourself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I have found, uh, you know, which is exactly what I, I want is that I've had, you know, a couple of, again, more females come and say, you know, I've, I've struggled with red S or um, someone's daughter actually is is struggling with um, fertility from anorexia and stuff. And I, it's never, it's never a burden to me. I'm, I'm, always on the other end to mm. just try and give what I feel is just honesty and and support there because it is a very lonely it's a very lonely disorder and like I say it's very secretive and and apart from the obvious traits that I can detect and see from people or physically see it's still a very taboo subject and again mm. it's 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 for us as coaches parents friends to know the right way about it because it's it's a very it's like eggshells and it's just knowing that person and how to approach it without kind of sparking anything you know Mm. and that's that's still a progress and you know that's that's something hopefully we can keep the the corridors and that open and and whatever for conversation
0: well it's been an absolute pleasure to catch up again Uh, it was lovely to see you crossing the finish line at the outlaw and have all your children coming down the finish line with you um And, and be there with you afterwards and sort of looking up at you with such pride so that that's always a lovely thing to see so please keep up the good work um maybe we'll pick up again next year and find out how you've gone on a new journey as a pro athlete and yeah. and hopefully it won't be too long before we see another outlaw finish line
1: yes yeah definitely definitely you've got outlaw is it x next
0: uh yeah in a couple of weeks
1: yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I'm in Belgium this weekend for the European Age Group, so that um, that will be nice to have a little trip abroad, minus the kids. <laughs> you know, you've got to do these things to to get a, a good uh, ticket away from the kids. You Sometimes have well.
0: <laughs> good good luck with all that, Nat, and, and thank you for being here today. It's been a great oh, conversation. Great.
1: Thank you, Simon. Cheers for that.
0: Thank you once again to Natalie for being my guest on the show this week. I really enjoyed that conversation it was great to catch up with that and we did talk about some very sensitive issues so i'm really appreciative of her openness and honesty there now if you heard anything that has raised some concerns as i said earlier on we have put some links in the show notes below please do seek those out because it will give you some guidance on some experts who to talk to and maybe ways in which you can approach the subject with those folks okay To make sure you don't miss any one of my episodes in the future, please go to iTunes, search for High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast and click the subscribe button. And if you've got time, we'd love it if you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because they do make a difference to our rating. Please also keep in mind our partnership with Precision Fuel and Hydration, which gets you a 15% discount on your first order. And in the coming weeks, You'll hear from one of their team of experts sharing some of their latest insights or answering your questions. So on this last point, if you have a sports nutrition question you would like an answer to, please send it in to me via beth at the triathloncoast.com and we'll get back to you with an answer and maybe you'll hear it aired on this show. So for all of those things that I mentioned above, please make sure you check out the show notes where you can find links not only to Red S but also to Precision Fuel and Hydration and that lovely discount that I talked about. That's all for this week. Thanks once again for being here, and I will see you for sure on the next episode.